How many of you have ever had to pull weeds? Yeah, apartment dwellers don't run into that a lot. It was one of those rituals that was a part of the spring and summer activities at my house. You know, before we could go out and play, we had to do X amount of stuff. Sometimes it was shelling bushels of peas. Uh, um, but pulling weeds was part of that. To this day, my mother has almost no weeds in her yard. <laughs> I don't know how she did that. Uh, but there's an art to it. And what you have to do is feel the weed you're pulling. You have to know when the timing is right. You know, if you go out when it's too dry, they're all going to break off unless you dig them up. And, and that takes a very long time to do thoroughly. If you go out when it's too wet, it pulls all the dirt with it. And then you've got a clump of mud in a hole wherever the weed was. So you have to wait until the timing is right for moisture in the ground. You have to be really sensitive when you're pulling it to the strength of the weed, your own strength, and when the roots are letting go. If you attend it very mindfully and very carefully, the weed lets you know when it's ready to let go. Now, how many can verify that of the, the weed pullers? Okay, see. So now, the point is, weeds are things that in a whole lot of circumstances are unwelcome guests. They are also prolific. They are often healthier than the, than the things that you want to cultivate. But they will cooperate with you if you listen. Pretty strange lesson from nature, right? I will tell you how to move me from where I want to be if you listen to me. Susan made a, a, a quote this morning. Um, that it's just really powerful. Uh, do you have that reading by any chance with you about fear? Okay. Well, the point of it was fear is powerful, but only if we listen to it. If only if we do what it says. Not if we listen to it. Not if we acknowledge that it's there. Not if we have a healthy respect for what we're afraid of. But if we do what fear tells us then we're giving it power. You know, initially when you approach a weed, uh, if, you, if you get in a hurry to get rid of it, it's going to break off and when it comes back, all of its buddies will be with it. <laughs> or the stem will be stronger and deeper the next time it comes up. Just pulling weeds. During the children's story, Susan mentioned uh, uh, kind of quickly, uh, no, somebody else did too, the, the cycles and, and seasons of nature that, you know, we move through things and each of them has their time. You know, from Ecclesiastes, the, the popular bird song 
turn, turn, turn to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. We have a hard time knowing when it's the right time. Now, when we're doing our work to listen to our calling, the place where our deep joy meets the world's deep need, or our greatest passion meets the world's greatest hunger, we don't have to worry about the time. When we're doing what's ours to do in the moment, and being in that balance, which is a lifelong skill to cultivate, the unfolding of things before us will carry us exactly where we need to be. I don't know why. I don't have to know why. I don't have to be able to explain it or rationalize it or, or limit the ways that things in nature and spirit work. If I pay attention, if I listen, if I'm doing what I can not to move too quickly or overpower something in an ineffective way, I'll know what's mine. I'll know how to do it, and every effort I try will be more effective. The lessons of nature. Now, I know that many of you are familiar with this story, and um, we've done it before. I think in kids' time, but it has been a little while, so I'm going to very quickly tell the story. Once a little boy was playing outdoors and found a fascinating caterpillar. He carefully picked it up and took it home to show his mother. He asked his mother if he could keep it, and she said he could if he would take care of it. So the little boy got a large jar from his mother and put plants in and a stick to climb on in the jar. Every day he watched the caterpillar and brought it new plants to eat. One day the caterpillar climbed up the stick and started acting strangely. The boy worried, worriedly called his mother, who came and understood that the caterpillar was creating a cocoon. The mother explained to the boy how the caterpillar was going to go through a metamorphosis and become a butterfly. The little boy was thrilled to hear about the changes his caterpillar would go through. He watched every day, waiting for the butterfly to emerge. One day it happened. A small hole appeared in the cocoon, and the butterfly started to struggle to come out. At first the boy was excited, but, but soon he became concerned. The butterfly was struggling so hard to get out. It looked like it could not break free. It looked desperate. It looked like it was making no progress. The boy was so concerned that he decided to help. He ran to get scissors and then walked back because he had learned not to run with scissors. He snipped the cocoon to make the hole bigger and the butterfly quickly emerged. 
As the butterfly came out, the boy was surprised. It had a swollen body and small, shriveled wings. He continued to watch the butterfly, expecting that at any moment the wings would dry, uh, enlarge, and expand to support the swollen body. He knew that in time the body would shrink and the butterfly's wings would expand. But neither one happened. The butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It never was able to fly. As the boy tried to figure out what had gone wrong, his mother took him to talk to a scientist from a local college. He learned that the butterfly was supposed to struggle. In fact, the butterfly struggled to push its way through the tiny opening of the cocoon, pushes some of the fluid out of the body and into the wings. I don't know if this is accurate or not, so y'all can <laughs> It's a story. We don't worry about literal truth, right? Um, without the struggle, the butterfly would never, ever fly. We have to do what's ours to do and leave others to do what is theirs to do and not evaluate their right against our opinion. That's tough. I'm not saying don't act when it's what you're called to do. But if we focus on our own tasks, mindfully attending the work we do, like pulling weeds, so that we are truly present to the work we are doing, then we won't be lost in what other people think about us or the results, or measure, measure our work by the results. The task itself is often a critical piece in some way that we may never know. When it comes to things that we see have great importance in our lives and in the lives that we care about, we can easily find patience hard to come by. The more important it is, the more immediate the need feels, the more difficult it will be to have patience with it. That's the discomfort to which I was referring earlier in the meditation. Growing our capacity to contain the tension, pay attention to what is, and perhaps why it is, particularly inside our own skin. Our own responses and from where in our history they arise provides insight and information that we will receive no other way. It gives us much greater understanding for what others may be experiencing and that is deep justice work. 
And again, of course, I am not referring to things like medical emergencies. Although, in a good many ways, uh, finding patients can resolve some of those issues. Or we have to have patients with cures. We have to have patients with natural processes and healing. I mean, you know, there are certain aspects of any topic you can call to mind in which this is true. From those, from those to whom much is given, much is required, the work we are called to do in this world is not meant to be easy. And if it is, it doesn't shape us to be our best. But it can be where our deep joy meets the world's deep need. That contentment and that knowing that comes only from, I think, spiritual depth and what I will call connection, what I am comfortable calling God, Being intentional about developing my relationship with something far greater than anything I can control is critical justice work. We don't have to look far to be upset with where things are in the world or things that people around us are doing and ways that people around us disagree with our own position. None of us do, whatever our positions are. What we have to look far for and work for are the tools that make us effective purveyors of compassion in the world. The ones that are going to make those odds grow, communication happen. There still abides a deep calm and contentment when we do that work, no matter if the world is breaking our heart. We still can have an abiding place of gratitude, hope, love, faith, and courage.